You are listening to the weekly sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church in Canton, South Dakota. We're a church that strives to make disciples of Jesus Christ who make a difference. To learn more, visit us at cantonsdumc.org. And now, here's Pastor Clay. Our scripture this morning comes to us from the book of Genesis in chapter 37. Uh, and like I've made mention of this before, already this morning, we're beginning a series on the story of Joseph. And this is the beginning of his story. And we're going to be reading uh, chapter 37, verses 1 through 11. And I read from the Good News Translation. If you want to join me on page 43 of your pew Bibles, I would invite you to do so at this time. Jacob continued to live in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived. And this is the story of Jacob's family. Joseph, a young man of 17, took care of the sheep and goats with his brothers, the sons of Bilpah and Zilpah, his father's concubines. And Joseph brought bad reports to his father about what his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than all his other sons because he had been born to him when he was old. And so Jacob made a long robe with full sleeves for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than he loved them, they hated their brother so much that they would not speak to him in a friendly manner. One time Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more. He said, listen to this dream that I had. We were all in the field tying up sheaves of wheat when my sheaf got up and stood up straight. Yours formed a circle around mine and bowed down to it. Do you think you're going to be a king and rule over us, his brothers asked? So they hated him even more because of his dreams, because of what he said about them. Then Joseph had another dream and told his brothers, I had another dream in which I saw the sun and the moon and eleven stars bowing down to me. He also told his father the dream, and his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? Do you think that your mother, your brothers, and I are going to come down and bow down to you? Joseph's brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept thinking about the whole matter. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you. For you, O God, are our rock, and you are our Redeemer. And we give you thanks for who you are as we say together. Amen. So usually when we think about the heroes of the Bible, we think of them as the paragons of virtue. And that's because a lot of the time when we think about the heroes of the Bible, we think of the Sunday school version, maybe even the Veggie Tales version, which does have a little bit of a problem of glossing over some of the nitty-gritty details about a person's life. Let's take, for example, example, King David. King David was the greatest king in Israel's history. He was one that was called a person after God's own heart. And when we talk about David, we always talk about Goliath. We always talk about how David reigned over this this Philistine giant. 
how he brought the people of God victory after victory, and we might even talk about how he started building the temple in Jerusalem that his son Solomon would finish. When we talk about David, we might talk about Bathsheba. We might talk about how Nathan the prophet exposed his misdeeds. But we have a really hard time talking about Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, whose death David orchestrated. And even less, we want to talk about the rivalry that David had with his own son Absalom and how that also ended in Absalom's death. And then you have Jonah. Jonah was called to be a prophet of God to the people of Nineveh. And we will always talk about how he was called to go to Nineveh and he went in the opposite direction to Tarshish. We will always talk about how he repented of his sinfulness in the stomach of a whale or a big fish. We will always talk about how he eventually did go to Nineveh and proclaim God's love as God intended, and Nineveh repents. We might talk about the great mercy of God in sparing Nineveh, but that's not the end of the story. Because we don't like to talk about the fact that Jonah set up camp outside of Nineveh to watch the glorious destruction that God had in store. And we don't want to talk about the fact that Jonah, upon seeing Nineveh still standing, Jonah yelled at God. And God embraced the teachable moment, and that's how the story ends. Then we have Joseph as I met him for the first time as Donny Osmond in the musical. Trust me, I did a Google image search this week, and this is the best I could find. And I also want to mention that this is Joseph from the Old Testament, because in that same Google image search, I had to wade through about a thousand pictures of the nativity scene before I got to the right Joseph. This is Joseph from the Old Testament. And to be honest with you, as far as heroes go, there are very few warts in Joseph's story. Joseph is one whom we can emulate because Joseph is one that lived a life of integrity and grace. The rising action, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, the rising action in Joseph's story is that he interprets Egypt's pharaoh's dreams about a coming time of bumper crops and a following time of famine. And Joseph comes up with this preservation plan during those years of plenty to sustain Egypt through those years of not. It leads to Egypt thriving. It leads to Joseph becoming the most second most powerful person in all of Egypt. And the prosperity of the area draws the people of God from Canaan into Egypt, which will become problematic, but that's a problem for the next generation. But this is not where the story starts. The story of Joseph's life starts at age 17. We first meet him when he is a 17-year-old boy. He is the second youngest son of Jacob, but we learn pretty quickly that he is the favorite. And even if Scripture didn't come out and just explicitly tell us 
he was the favorite, we probably would have picked up the hint, right? Jacob loves Joseph more than all the others, because, and, and, and to show that, he buys Joseph or makes Joseph this amazing coat. A coat with full sleeves, as the Good News translation put it, or as we might know it better, the amazing Technicolor dream coat. But only Joseph gets that. The other brothers don't. And in that day and age, you might assume that this honor would have fallen upon Reuben, the oldest son. Because how it worked in that day and age is that the oldest son was the pride of the father. But as it stands, Joseph is the favorite. And as it stands, Jacob the father does very little to hide the fact that Joseph is the favorite. And if there are any warts in Joseph's story, one of them has to be here because in a lot of ways, Joseph does not help his case with the way that he interacts with his brothers. We learned in our scripture this morning that Joseph's role in the order of the brothers is to tell Jacob about what's going on with the other brothers. And Joseph never comes back with good news. If the brothers aren't working hard enough, Jacob knows. If the brothers are misbehaving, Jacob knows. If they step out of line in any way, Jacob knows. And he knows because Joseph tells him. Or to put it from the brothers' perspective, Joseph is a snitch. And we don't like snitches. There's a rhyming phrase I'll tell you after church about what happens to snitches. And the matter comes to be even worse when Joseph starts to have these dreams. Joseph has these dreams of greatness. And as the story unfolds, we realize that there's something behind these dreams, that these are divinely given dreams, and that there's something that God is doing through these dreams but they don't know that yet. All anyone knows is Joseph is having these weird dreams where he's the hero and they're the not, and if Joseph was just having those dreams, it'd be fine. But Joseph tells his brothers, hey guys, guess what? I had this dream, and I'm the best chief of wheat. Hey guys, guess what? I had this dream, and I'm the brightest star, and y'all bowed down to me. Shockingly, when the brothers heard this, they did not hear this as good news. And when you take all of these things together, the favoritism, the dreams, the role as the snitch, when you take it all together, a picture starts to take shape. And it's not a pretty picture, is it? It's a picture of a flawed and fractured and dysfunctional family. The brothers have banded together in their hatred of Joseph. Jacob the father does not seem aware of the danger of the dynamic that he is implicit in creating. 
And the second youngest son, Joseph, is flipping over all kinds of societal, societal norms, or at least having societal norms flipped over on him. This is how the story of Joseph starts. This is the start of his story. But even more than that, this is the start of Joseph's God story. Because we learn throughout the story that Joseph's dreams are not random. Joseph's dreams are God-given. One of the commentaries I read this week pointed out that dreams in the Old Testament are recognized as, as a means of divine revelation. God is doing something through these dreams. God is giving Joseph these dreams on purpose. They are not a concoction. They are not an indication of Joseph's inner desire to rise above his station. They aren't even misguided delusions of grandeur. God is doing something. These dreams are the start of God's work in and through Joseph. God is up to something. Even if Joseph won't fully understand what's going on for decades. But notice with me, as this story unfolds, as this confusing mix of a favoritism he didn't ask for and a hatred that he doesn't necessarily deserve... Can you see how it might be easy for Joseph to doubt his story? I mean, how could God use all of this? Put yourself in Joseph's position. How could God use me? My brothers hate me. I keep having these dreams that are ripping my family apart, and I can't even help it. How could God use all of this? But God had a purpose, even if Joseph did not fully understand it. The question becomes this, what is it that keeps Joseph going? What is it that keeps Joseph living this life of integrity? I got to tell you that the answer is not his father's favoritism. The answer is his dreams. These vivid dreams will propel Joseph through the next two decades of seeming silence from God as all kinds of hardship come his way. In faith, Joseph will cling to these dreams because sometimes it will be all he has. In faith, he will trust God because God is one who's going to accomplish all that is promised to do. And as we will see over the next few weeks, it's not easy for Joseph to hold on as his story goes from bad to worse to impossible. Yet the dreams stay with him. Just as the dreams stayed with his father, Jacob. Jacob kept thinking about all of this stuff. It was there in the back of his mind. It was there in the back of Joseph's mind. 
God wasn't done with him. God was guiding him through all the days of his life, despite his family's doubts of the truthfulness of what's going on. As we think of our own stories, as we think of our own lives, both the Sunday school version where we're always the hero and the real version where maybe we're not, what is it in your life that feels disqualifying about your story? How is God working in your life despite a family of origin that doesn't have your back as they ought to? How is God working through your life despite your failures, despite my failures? How is God working through our lives despite the fact that we prove every day we stand in the need of divine grace? And let me invite you to lay those disqualifications aside. Because just as God was not done with Joseph, so too is God not done with you. God's not done with you. There is a wild dream in the back of your head, even right now. Keep that alive. Because it may just be the beginning of your very own God story. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we give you thanks for examples of faith that we can follow because sometimes life is hard and sometimes things are confusing and sometimes it's hard for us to really truly know what it is that we're supposed to do next. We may feel a prompting, we may feel a nudge, we may feel this wild idea. We don't know what to do with it next. In those moments, oh God, give us the resolve to not let that go because it very well may be something from you. And give us the courage and give us the integrity to follow faithfully despite our disqualifications. Follow faithfully your way. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church. Join us in person or online at 10 o'clock every Sunday morning for worship. And now go in peace and serve the Lord. I want to encourage you after the message to head over to our YouTube channel and click the subscribe button. Over on YouTube, you will find videos of our entire worship service, a video cast of our weekly Cut for Time conversation with Pastor Clay and Eric, songs from our praise band One Way Up, and a bunch of other great things as well. Just search for Canton United Methodist Church. It would mean a lot to have you subscribe.